Welcome in. It is January 16th, 2021. This is episode 125 of the Get After a Podcast. We have an interview for you today. This was a fun one. It's a holistic approach. Honestly, we had so much fun just jamming about life and a little bit about business. And this guy is just a really freaking cool guy and a good guy. And, um, I, you know, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. And, and I really wanted to be intentional about publishing this on a weekend where maybe you have a little bit of time to reflect uh, hopefully pull some of the lessons out of this one. I think there's bigger lessons at play than simply tactics and strategies and things that we'll jam about on a lot of other interviews. Um, my guest today is Omer Redden. Uh, Omer is actually, he was employee number one at a company called Self Publishing School. You know, my, uh, my friend Chandler Bolt, who's been on the podcast before, has founded uh, Self Publishing School in 2015. Actually, may have been 2014. And they are now an eight-figure company in the, um, geez, they're all over the place in terms of personal development, coaching. Um, Self-publishing school is uh, truly an engine of growth. I remember talking to Chandler when I first got connected with him in 2017, and they had a five-person team. I believe more than 40 are now employed at Self-publishing school today. What an awesome story. This is um, Omer was employee number one. <laughs> we have a lot of fun talking about uh, a little bit about self-publishing school, mostly about Omer and his family just now moving to Wyoming. We did this interview just before Thanksgiving of this last year. I'm really excited to share this with you all. So without further ado, let's cue the intro. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. All right, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Get After It Podcast. I'm stoked as I typically am for the guests I have, but this is a unique one. I'm really excited to have, uh, to welcome in Omer Redden here. And I am mainly excited because Omer is a guy who I've had, some, I've had a chance to have a couple of really fascinating conversations with him in person, but he is, what is attached to this man is this, the, 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 I'm trying to think of the words to say it. Here I am doing an introduction and I'm, I'm losing words, Omer, already. It's, the, it's the, the image of everyone around him and the way they project him. Um, there's so much respect for this guy, which I think is so, so curious and so exciting for me to be able to welcome him uh, to our audience. Um, we were just joking about his introduction. Uh, right now, he's the product lead at uh, Self-Publishing School, which we've had Chandler Bolt on in the past. Um, fast-scaling uh, self-development company, helping people publish their books, their podcasts, grow their influence, really cool company, real cool business. Um, and he's been leading product there for, well, I think my understanding is since the team was like really, really freaking small over since when you joined SPS. So I'm stoked to talk a little bit about that journey. He had the sense of getting out of the state of Ohio at the beginning of this year, and he moved to the great state of Wyoming, which I am stoked to talk a little bit more about. Uh, he's also, he's written five books includes the life doc, uh, give him, get, oh, give and grow rich, how to work from home. Uh, this guy's a giver and I'm just stoked to have him on the show. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, I think we're, 
I'm really excited for just a really cool and genuine down-to-earth conversation. Omer, thanks so much for volunteering some time here for the Get After It audience. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm pretty stoked to be here as well. So we were just, we were talking a little bit about your plans here for 2020. And it sounds like you're one of the few people who made plans in 2020 and stuck with them despite the whole world falling apart. So I want you to, uh, before I actually get into all that and moving around, let's do a, a little bit better, a little housekeeping here for our audience who might be a little unfamiliar with you, which I would assume would be most of them. <laughs> Even the Reader's Digest version, who is Elmer? Give us a little bit of the background. Five books is kind of crazy. Give us a little bit of the rundown, boss. All right, all right. So yeah, um, who's Elmer? What a question. Uh, I am a father of three. I am a husband to one, and uh, we've been married for 11 years, and the three kids are uh, nine, seven, and just about to turn six, so really fun ages, uh, really fun time of life, and yeah, I've written some books, work with self-publishing school, that's been a wild ride, and whatever you want to dive into, um, I'm an open book. You know, uh, what was your experience before uh, self-publishing school and work-wise? Because what's so cool is that you're a part of the leadership team at SPS now. And when I, I remember first talking, when I first met Chandler, I want to say when we first connected, it was probably maybe, maybe, maybe you guys had maybe five people. I don't even know if it was five yeah. people full time, uh, but you've been there that whole time. And I want to say you guys are like 40 plus team members now. So tell me a little bit about what that's been like in terms of that ride, but also a little bit beforehand. How'd you, how'd you end up at a fast growing company like this? All right. So buckle up for a story time. Okay. Um, and this is like, this is something that's really uh, near and dear to me as the illustration of the roller coaster ride. And it's because I used to live in Ohio next to Cedar Point Amusement Park. So, you know, and Cedar Point is roller coaster of the world. They've got incredible rides and everybody thinks, oh, it's just ups and downs. Right. But like, on the SPS journey, it's been like the loops, like going upside down, like being strapped in where your legs are dangling and you're in like Superman position for a while. And then you like almost feel sick at some points because the turns are so sharp and things like that. So um, that's what it's been like at SPS. Uh, in, fi in five years, I was actually employee number one. So when I joined, there was uh, basically just contractors and Chandler took a chance on me and um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a letter, basically, that was my job application, was a, uh, a letter saying, hey, I believe in what you guys are doing. I wanna help out however I can. Here's the ways I think I could help. And um, yeah, he went for it, so. Did you, was that, um, so were you, not, you weren't a customer. Were you a customer of SPS? I started as a customer, yes. Gotcha. Um, I had followed their free stuff. And then like when they did their very first big launch as self-publishing school, because they used to be under another name and whatever, they were just getting established. When it was officially self-publishing school, they did their first launch. That's when I joined, had great success with my first book, Give and Grow Rich. And then um, got on, I went from part-time to, or what was it? It was like contractor to part-time to full-time over the course of a summer. Did you, uh, so, so 
take us through your journey in terms of the work that you were doing at the beginning versus now to leading product. I'm really curious as to what your what your day to day responsibilities are even today, but versus back then. Yeah, I've done a little bit of everything, right? Because when you're in when you're employee number one and it's startup mode, I mean, it's just who can do it, and you just scramble and you make it happen. So I started as a community manager, uh, basically leading the Facebook group. Then I systematized that, put processes and things around it, hired somebody to run that, and then I moved into customer support, did the same thing. Uh, I ran customer support. I was the one answering the tickets. I was the one having the phone calls. Then I systematized it, passed it off, hired somebody else to do that, and then I moved into finances. So I've done, so repeat that process over and over, right? Um, I've done it for community, for customer support, for finances, for operations, and now I'm in product. So five years, five roles. What do you, what, and right now is your role in product, systemizing it and getting it down so you can <laughs> hire somebody to replace yourself? Is that what the goal is? We'll see, we'll see. This one is actually the most fun for me. I'm having a blast at this one uh, because I get to be part like, mad scientist in the lab and working to create stuff from scratch, but then also like having conversations with our coaches, with our student success team, with our community. And like, what are you hearing from our customers? What do they want? What do they, uh, what do they need help with? And so then it's like finding the product market match for, for self-publishing school right now. Yeah. And you, uh, we were alluding to your, your, your goals that you actually stuck with, which a goal was to get out to Wyoming this year. And I want to ask you a little bit about your, well, really about you and your, how, how, how have your, in five years, I guess, so if you go back, I would assume now you're in a spot where, were you, were you, before you joined this, were you financially strapped? Was it like looking for a place? Oh, yeah. and, and then now you're really building. What was it, I guess, how, what, have you, what was the biggest like philosophical shift for you? Because one of the things I hear all the time about just about you in general is just ever you seem like a clutch that people can lean on within the organization. I know you might laugh at that, but like the reality is like you are really like a very steady guy in the sense of you're you're dependable. You have the but you're also you 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 seem philosophical almost in a lot of the ways that you approach stuff. I want to know like where did, did where did it come from? Was it just like you know we have a it's like wisdom as one of my last guests Corey Carlson put it wisdom is in coming from making mistakes. Yeah. Is, that, is that where most of it came from? Or tell me a little bit about that, if you, if you don't mind. So one of my top five strengths is a learner. And I've always taken the approach that I want to learn from other people's mistakes, not having to make them myself. And so that's led to like, you know, reading a book a week for years, maybe even decades now. And like, um, so I think that's a lot, that has a lot to do with it. But I think just I'm wired that way. Like I'm a, I'm a INTJ on the Myers-Briggs. So I'm, I'm naturally quiet. I'm into ideas. I'm thinking I'm, I'm making decisions. Um, as for sticking with the move through COVID. Um, yeah. Like, do you want me to dive into that? Like I can. Yeah. So you, so you're in Sandusky, Ohio or around that, around yep. thereabouts. And yeah, so tell me a little bit, why did you want to move? I guess that's, let's actually go into that. Why did you want to move to Wyoming? So, yeah, this, this will answer a question that you started to ask earlier too, which is um, before self-publishing school, I was in a dead-end job. 
right? Like it was, I had climbed the ladder very quickly and realized I don't like that ladder that I'm on. Um, I was in a manufacturing company. I was pulling, at, when I started, I was pulling tires off of presses that are 350 degrees. And it's just, it's a hundred and whatever degrees outside, 150 inside. And then you're just pulling tires. Like it's a miserable job. Um, I, I climbed the ranks in that company and I had the opportunity to go to corporate. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to go to corporate. I have no desire to go to corporate. Like it's, this is bad, bad place. Uh, and looking back, it's not like everything was bad. I learned a lot of lessons from it and things like that, but what I was in Illinois at the time and I, I got in with self-publishing school. I moved to Ohio because I thought my, my wife's family was from Ohio. Um, it seemed like a prettier place, a better environment, that sort of thing, but it was still close to home and still close enough to relatives, things like that. And we were in Ohio for four years, something. Yeah. Four years. And my wife and I were talking one day and it's like, Hey, honey, you've, you've been working from home for four plus years. Like you're in a pretty steady spot. We could live anywhere in, in the world, but also anywhere in the U S you know, and what do you want to do? So we talked through that. And when we were first married, we had uh, driven West and taken like a week to do it. We had lived in Portland, Oregon uh, for a year. And when we drove out West, we said, man, Montana and Wyoming are like two of our favorite places. We just loved it. Fell in love with the landscape, the space, uh, the slower, like a different type of lifestyle. And so we, we were like, man, if we ever had the chance, we'd love to come back. So here we are 10 years later and we're like, you know what? The opportunity's here. Like, why don't we, why don't we give this a shot? So we set that goal at the start of 2020 saying, Hey, let's, let's get the family, like, let's sell the house in Ohio. Let's move the family to Wyoming. And then we had to stick with it through, through COVID, through all the craziness, uh, through fallen deals and all that stuff. It's almost got to be cooler in a way though now to be in a spot that seems like I think pre-COVID people were trying to hide it, right? Because it seems like a lot of people are moving to Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. They want to get out of the city. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden it was like a stampede to get out yeah. of the cities, right? So how did uh, how did COVID impact that whole, that whole decision to move? <laughs> Well, we were prepping our house in Ohio and then COVID hit and we're like, do we want to do it? Do we want not want to do it? Like, what's the market going to be like? We, we sat for about a week and a half, two weeks and we're like, you know what? Like houses are flying off the market still and people are moving. Uh, let's give it a shot. Let's see if, let's see if we can do it. And we kind of had in our, in our mind that projection or, or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, okay, if we make this much off the house, we can do this. If we make this much, we can do that. And uh, thankfully we were able to, we were able to sell. It took a little bit um, longer because of how COVID hit in the midst of us listing. But the bigger challenge was actually moving out here because I had to, I flew out twice. I flew out once before COVID hit, once during all of it going on. And we put an offer in on four separate places uh, before we landed this one. And it's pretty tough to buy when you're not in the state and when you're not on top of the market. 
And I was going to say, there's probably a lot of buyers right now looking for places in Wyoming. Massive housing shortage here. Yeah. In a town of like, in a town of 70,000 people in Cheyenne, there's only like 400 houses on the market or something crazy. I mean, it's just flying. Yeah. Wow. What are you looking forward to with the lifestyle out there for your kids and for your family? That was very intentional on our part. Yeah. And that's it. That's a great question. Um, uh, and I want to be careful how I answer it because I don't want to offend anybody listening that might be from the Midwest and that sort of thing. But uh, I, I'm from Michigan, so you better better offend me here. No, I'm kidding. I know. I was born and raised in Indiana, so <laughs> we're going to offend all the Midwesterners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here, here's the thing. I looked at my life and I said, you know what? I want to set my family up for the next decade not just the next year or not just the next quarter or whatever. Like I want to set them up for the next decade. And if they're nine, seven, five, going on six, like if that's their ages now and, and they're going to be teenagers, right? Like they're going to be moving out of the house in 10 years or 12 years, somewhere in that ballpark. I said, what kind of lifestyle do I want to create between now and then for them? And what that lifestyle looked like for me and for my wife was like, I don't want them sitting in front of computers and video games. I don't want them thinking that there's only three sports in the world, football, basketball, and baseball. And if you're not good at those, then you suck at life. I don't want them thinking that um, you're either smart in academics or you go get a factory job. Like I wanted them to have a broader view of the world. I wanted them to know there's all kinds of sports, activities, hobbies, things you can do in life that you can do the rest of your life. Like the chances of being able to play football the rest of your life are like zero. <laughs> I know. Cause I played college football for a year. Like it, that's very slim. Um, but you can ski the rest of your life. You can snowshoe, you can ride horses, you can do all that stuff the rest of your life. And so like, I wanted to create that kind of like outdoor adventure lifestyle for them. Um, and then, yeah, we're, we're having to homeschool through COVID and we'll see if that holds up, but that's created an unconventional schooling uh, platform. And so, yeah, there are a lot of decisions going into that. Um, but those were the primary ones for like what we want our family to look like 10 years from now and beyond. I'm curious if you don't mind. So I'm asking on this, like you have your, it's now your, your oldest is nine. How, how much is it between the oldest and the youngest? Is it, is it just like a blur because it's something you'd always want to do to get out to Wyoming? How much of it is like, um, I mean, I'm just curious when, when you're starting a family, how much of it is plan and how much of it is just absolute <laughs> chaos? <laughs> yeah, man. In our case, it was almost all chaos from the start. Uh, my wife and I met and were married exactly a year from when we met. We had a kid a year after that. Um, we, like I said, moved out to Portland, Oregon, moved back to the Midwest, switched jobs, switched careers, uh, switched states, all that stuff. And so, yeah, a lot of it has felt like a blur. Um, and that whole time you're just like, in our case, because we got married young, we're just fighting to get by. I mean, we're just trying to like get out of college debt, pay off loans, and, and thankfully we were able to do that very quickly because we're very like frugal and handle our money well. So 
we were able to do that and get our family in a better financial position quickly. And then it's been like, okay, now how do we be intentional about the values, about the um, lifestyle, about schooling and all those sorts of things. And so I would say we're at a point now where we're the most proactive we've ever been with our family. And I would say the first, yeah, five to seven years felt very reactive, felt very, you're just running around. All, all you do is change diapers, clean up messes and fall asleep. How much is it a, has it become at all more about as you've gotten out of that stage, as you just said, it has it come back to for you personally and your wife investing back into yourselves and doing some things that now that you have maybe some capital coming in, you're in a secure spot in Wyoming, not secure as in like, I always, I always think <laughs> my road trip. I, uh, when I was on the road, I did a, uh, I stopped by a, one of those classic like gas stations in Wyoming, which is like also the grocery store and like also the, like literally everything. They got the a town hall. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd say they got everything. And they were selling these shirts. It was uh, the department of Homeland security. And it was four guys on horsebacks with shotguns. And I was like, all right, well, that, that's Wyoming. That makes a lot of that sense. That is. But I guess the, my question would be, I would assume it's a lot of, this is me assuming parenthood is a lot of putting someone else before you like never before. And now is there, is there a chance, are you getting back to the point where you're looking at for yourself the next 10 to 15 years and kind of where you want to go? Are you getting the itch of different things that you want to explore either professionally or personally? Like where, where, where are you at as a parent in that sense? Because to me, it's really curious. Cause like one of the things that I've always thought, it's like, when do you want to, when do you start a family? Is it, is it good to start a family at a young age? Is it good to start it when, you know, you're, you know, when, when you're established and you have established, whatever that means, you have an income, yeah. whatever the case is, you can't see where I'm going with this question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And it depends for every person. It's different. Right. And I know people who haven't started their families until they're in their mid thirties or even their forties. And I know other people who, like my wife and I, started at 22 and 19. And so it's, it is different for everybody. Um, one thing about marriage is it will show you how selfish you are. And then one thing about having kids is you'll see even how much more selfish you are. Um, and it's, it's a constant daily sort of unlearning of all your selfish tendencies and habits. Um, now that the kids are like independent, they don't need us for the majority of normal daily life functions, uh, other than driving them everywhere. Um, now that we're in that stage, it's a lot different. And I would say that it still doesn't mean there's not self-sacrifice and there's not um, you putting your kids first and those sorts of things as a parent, but there is an element of, I can find two hours in a week to have alone time. My wife can take a half day and I can hang out with the kids and she can go have her time, her target therapy or whatever the thing is, you know? And um, that's a lot better and a lot healthier spot, but it doesn't, it doesn't always come naturally. And I think that's one thing I wanna make sure is clear for like anybody listening to the podcast and to us chatting through this right now is it doesn't come naturally. You have to be very intentional about those habits, about the lifestyle you want, 
and about setting aside time for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids individually, because kids need alone time and they need one-on-one -on -one parent time, just like we need one-on-one -on -one time and just like we need alone time. And so you, you have to be intentional about all those things. So is it, do you view time a lot differently now than you did maybe five years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, it's still flying by fast, like yeah. faster than ever. Um, but I, I'm more intentional about trying to slow it down and like soak up the moment, soak up the experience. I'll, I'll tell you a quick one. So we got snow in October, uh, just a week, pretty much after we moved out here to Wyoming. And I mean, it, it came down, like we're talking 10, 14 inches, something crazy like that in October. Um, we went sledding, like I made sure I got off at three o'clock so that we could go sledding in the backyard, have fun. Um, I, the reason I'm wearing this cast, if you're just listening, you can't see it, but if you're watching, you can see it. I'm wearing this cast because I hurt my hand sledding with the kids because I was having so much fun. Um, but when we were done sledding and I took my middle daughter and we just went and we sat in the snow and like meditated, like just, it was so quiet. You could feel and hear snowflakes falling on your face. It's like, those are the moments that I want to try to create out here. Those are the times where time slows down and I get to like truly feel that sense of satisfaction of, of being a parent, of being a husband, of, of being a, an employee, what, like whatever the roles are, like those are the moments where I can slow it down and soak it up and like enjoy it. How has, how has being a father made you a better husband? You didn't know we were going this deep. We're going Dang, deep. Dang, man. This Fun. is going to be a good family podcast here. Um, here's the thing. And my wife would tell you the same, and this isn't a secret. Um, I'm better at being a dad than I am a husband. I used to be. And I'm getting better at the husband piece. Um, and because, because it was like, we got married so fast, we had kids so fast that all of our focus went toward our kids pretty much. Right. And, and now that they aren't dependent upon us as much now, it's like, we can start to make time for ourselves. So like just this over the past year, um, we've signed up for marriage counseling and like, it's not because we were looking at getting divorced necessarily. It's like, because we're like, wanting to figure out how to be more proactive in our marriage and instill those same kind of habits, same kind of values, and be just as intentional about our marriage as we are about raising our kids. Because we're doing a hell of a job, I would say, and a lot of people would say, I think in raising our kids, sure, we screw up, sure, we have faults, that sort of thing. But a lot of people say we're great at being parents, but we're trying to get better at the point where it's like, we know, that we're being great at being a husband and wife too. So I'm, I'm going to keep rolling with this if we can, uh, with, with, with your kids and how for, for them, especially with the, the oldest getting to an age where, as you just said, they're more independent in the sense that you're not, they're not constantly omnipresent and needing mom and dad. Um, for you, particularly like when you look at, you work with some amazing people on the team at SBS, you see a lot of people, I know like I've had some friends who have 
obviously worked there and have left and a lot of friends are still there and are working there and growing things. Do you, do you ever find yourself trying to project what you, and this doesn't have to be just with the SPS team. This can be with clients of SPS, anybody who you come in interaction with business. Do you find uh, yourself ever trying to project one of your, uh, one of your kids to, Oh, I hope he'll do this, or I hope he'll do that. Like he does that or like she does that and ever kind of catch yourself and trying to let them be themselves or is that is that a weird question to ask because i imagine that that'd be something that as a father it's like you're all i i, I don't know maybe because like now you're looking at the world like because i'm assuming a company like sps you have a lot of younger people that are coming yeah. in they're trying to do different things and it's like you can probably see a lot in maybe your kids and some of the people who are working at SPS because you've been there for so long and you're probably seen as like a fatherhood figure. I don't know if I landed that question <laughs> the way I intended to, but boy, yeah. How does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chandler said that I'm like the elder statesman or, or the dad at SPS for people sometimes. And, um, I think in some ways it's true and it's just because I'm at a little bit later stage of life than like you said, a lot of the employees, but for my kids, it's, I think my wife and I have been very intentional about not projecting what we want them to be. And instead, like we're, we're people of faith. And so it's like praying and asking like, God, help me see what they're naturally good at. Like what you already gave them. And help me figure out ways that I can encourage that, improve that, like guide them in the right ways toward the right types of camps or trainings or school opportunities or whatever, so that they can develop and continue to grow those things. And it'd be nothing about me and nothing about her and nothing like, because I, I grew up in that shadow a little bit. It was like, um, my, my dad was a football player, but he never applied himself in school. And my mom applied herself in school, was a good volleyball and basketball player, whatever. Um, they wanted me to be an athlete and an academic. And I excelled at both. I was a straight A student and I was a all state or whatever, you know, like at, at some of the sports I was in. And I don't, I don't regret it because I enjoyed it. Like I love sports. I love learning and academics, but I look back as an adult and say like, man, I feel like a lot of that was projected on me. And I don't know what I would have pursued if I would have been totally like wide open to any and all other opportunities out there. Um, so yeah, like we're enrolling our kids in like ice skating and they've done ballet. I accidentally muted you. This is this is a raw podcast moment. There we go. There you go. So we we we're looking at. I'll shut know. up. I'm sorry. Yeah, Bell. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I muted him. Um. So you, you so you you know let me let let me actually let me plug in on that. So you have you're at you you're at a point where you're projecting more so. You want to just project opportunities for your family and for your life. How has that been influenced in just your last? two years with SPS and growing and scaling a business on that side in the sense of what are some of the principles that may carry over to help you become a better father, husband, and also setting goals for the family, frankly. Yeah. Um, 
I think, you know, if anybody's listened to Chandler's podcast or knows who Chandler Bull is, you know, he's a very driven, goal-oriented, like visionary type of person. And so, yeah, does that like, after working with that, that type of person for five years in close proximity, like that wears off on you naturally. Um, but it was also a thing like we were aligned from the start, like there's certain values uh, that I wouldn't have joined self-publishing school if I didn't have similar values to what I felt like Chandler had as a leader of the company. And so, yeah, like some of that ties in with my life doc thing. And I know we're, we're probably not talking about the book as like the, the whole thing, but like life doc concept is taking a lot of those similar principles of strategic planning, of figuring out your values, your mission, and taking that from a business perspective um, and applying it in a personal way and, and then adding to it. Because I think there's a lot more that happens on a personal level than a business level, but they all intertwine. Can, we, can you actually go into your first book? if you wouldn't mind. And you said it was, uh, which one was it? It was, the, it was the Give and Grow, wasn't it? Give and Grow Rich? Give and Grow Rich was the first one I did with self-publishing school, yep. So tell me, take me back to the motivation behind that because you were in a spot actually, if, if I'm inferring correctly, we were very far from riches. I would assume you were in debt <laughs> writing this book. What was, the, what was the motivation behind, but, what, but seriously, what was the motivation behind wanting to give that a shot? Yeah, I, I was on a personal development kick right? And reading all these books and taking these courses and things like that. Um, but then I was also like on a very personally driven kick where it's like, I am looking at my life and saying, I don't want to work in a manufacturing facility for the rest of my life. I do not want to make 40,000 or less and try to raise my family of five on 40K or less for the rest of my life. I don't want these types of things. So it came from like a deep seated, um, I am not satisfied with where I'm at and I know I can do better. I just have to apply myself. But in order to apply myself, I need to understand like what's it look like on the other side. So I grew up in what I would say was like a lower middle-class family. I grew up with predominantly like a poor mindset where there's never enough. Um, it's a uh, take me, me, me kind of like hold and cling to because you never know if you'll have enough kind of mentality. And I was like, seeing this dichotomy of, well, all, all these people who seem to be really well off or whatever, like seem to be some of the most generous and biggest giver type of people. So what I did is I did an experiment and I interviewed seven different guys from seven different income brackets and was like, what's the difference here? So I asked them all like the same 12 questions and this range of income was from 20,000 a year to a million dollars a year, a year. And I interviewed them and asked them all the same questions. And I, I distilled all of that down into a book and said, there's, there's definite mindset things that are completely different between poor, middle, and like rich. And so I, I put all that together and then I read the biographies of seven billionaires and I tried to distill those lessons. So uh, I feel like I did a decent job because I crammed all of that information and learning into like a hundred page book. So it's pretty easy and consumable, but that was 
like what I wanted to learn. And because I needed to learn that and internalize it for myself first, uh, then I knew I could take it and, and grow with it. What was your favorite of the, uh, of the biographies and billionaires that you read? Any that stand out? <laughs> Sam Walton's was fascinating because I had a certain perception of Walmart, but to actually like see and or read from the founder's lifestyle and view, I, I really like that one. I, uh, everybody who is listening to this podcast should go read Made in America by Sam Walton because that book is, I, I, you know, my, uh, my father uh, would, uh, we would always, we always joke about how we, we wouldn't shop at Walmart because everything's from China, right? And it's amazing how that was my perception of Walmart, hardly ever go there. And not even so much a perception of Walmart, just like, you know, discounts, you don't, you don't, it's amazing when, uh, one of my favorite parts about that book was how he becomes, I want to say a billionaire when they IPO the stock or whatever the case is. And he's just relieved that he's finally out of debt for the first time in like years. (laughs) And I, 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 the other fascinating thing about that book, we're talking a lot about family and, and, learning what I was fascinated by what he does with his family and bringing his family into the business and making the decisions, making them a part of the decision process. And, and, and that was a, that was a really cool read. And, and also I, 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 we, we got, people got to check out your book. Cause that's, I'm fascinated to hear. Cause I'll do, I'll do coaching calls, right. With, with a lot of our clients and some of the, and, and some of my own clients and, and it will, and also just in some accountability groups that I'm in as well, where specifically though with clients, it's like, it's amazing how we infect ourselves with limiting beliefs, like just so easily it becomes instilled in our head, um, these limiting beliefs and uh, probably money, debt, uh, income is probably one of the greatest ones because we're all we live and breathe it on an everyday basis, but um, who, who have you, I guess, who's, have there been any huge influences on you since, since writing the book that's maybe shifted your mindset or was, was it writing the book and the process of it itself that helped you shift your mindset? Cause you mentioned coming from a family where you're probably in a survival and a, in a, in a mindset of really a scarcity mindset is what I would call it. Right. Where we're mm-hmm. focused. It's like, some of the clients I work with, if I just get that one client, all the problems are solved. Well, that'll never work, right? We're not, we're not doing this for one client. We're doing this to solve a huge problem in the marketplace. Right. So I just go back to that. What was, have you, has, was there a lesson that hit either when you were writing that book or was it after that really influenced you on it? Or what was the biggest process from that? Yeah. Well, there's, there's an element of like, when you read books, you're hoping to gain a lot of lessons and nuggets from it, right? And so I read those books voraciously. I took notes, you know, on on Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, and I think Trump was in there. This isn't a political plug, but just, you know, it's just like all this. Uh, I learned so much from reading those books, but then I learned so much from actually talking to people who were living in that mindset or in that lifestyle. And um, one of the things that, that hit me the hardest, and I think this will resonate with some people, 
I asked my dad, like, what's one of your favorite memories? Like, what's one of the things that sticks out to you in your life as, as something that was just extremely significant, made you feel good, that sort of stuff? Um, and he said it was a time that he, there was a guy that he was working with who was really down on his luck. And um, it turned out his tires, like he ran over something and all the tires were bad and went flat. And he bought the guy a new set of tires. This is coming from my dad, who I said, I grew up in like a lower middle-class mindset. And the thing that stuck out in his mind as one of his shining life moments was when he did something that probably was beyond his means that helped somebody else in a worse situation. And like, it was decades before, it happened like decades before I asked my dad that question. And that stuck out to me as like, man, that's the give and grow rich mindset of you, you have to give before you're comfortable. You give a percentage no matter what. You give consistently to people and or causes, and you do it in a way that you feel like is going to make the biggest impact and change the most number of lives and, and leverage the right way. Um, so in my dad's case, it was for one person at one specific instance. Um, I've tried to make it a habit to do that like in a more leveraged way, but also still do it on an individual level for individual people in circumstances they're in. So I would say like that was one of the times where that that reality um, really hit hard for me. I want to Did make that answer the question. I don't even know if that answered the question. We we haven't answered any questions in this podcast. This has been entirely just we've been, we've just been going off on stuff. I got a couple, I love it. I got a couple more I want to hit you with. I want to make sure that we stick to time. Thanks so much for volunteering your time for our audience, Omer. What's uh what's something that um I throw this question at every one of our guests. I think it'd only be fair for for yourself. Um, it, it, not even so much advice for young professionals, but um, in this world, I joked with uh, Chandler about this. It's like uh, when COVID hit and everyone was talking about work from home, I was, I was thinking like, what, well, that's just funny. Cause I've been hearing about work from home for like two years now. So I don't know what this whole, everybody's got this epiphany that this is all happening. Uh, but yet, but seriously, I think there's a lot of people coming out of school these days who are coming either, they're either in their first gig where we're going to see a lot of restructuring of the economy we already have, and we still will continue it as companies eliminate unnecessary jobs. People aren't prepared for jobs the way that they, and they know they aren't, they know they don't have the skills, whatever the case is. Um, what would you do with this economy right now? What's the best thing that someone could do to try to put themselves in a position to support a family and also grow a career kind of like yourself has. Um, but now like the 2020 post COVID version, I think you're personally equipped to answer this really well because you were going to move to Wyoming before COVID. I mean, this is like proof yeah. that you, you had everything figured out. Here's what I would say. And this has to be taken right with, with the realization that this is from my personal experience, but I think it's true of many, many people's experience. If your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. Like, figure out a way to make it happen. And I, that, that quote is not original with me. I read that somewhere. 
I can't remember who said it, but swim out to it. Like do whatever you need to do to make your dream become a reality. Like listen to every podcast from Get After It, from every other source that you want to listen to. Like listen to the podcasts, take the courses, invest in yourself, read the books, talk to the people who are doing it. Like you'd be amazed. People are very generous with their time. Uh, if you want to learn something and you're saying, hey, I look up to you, you're an expert at whatever, I would love to just learn. I've got a couple questions. Could you answer them? Whatever. Um, by and large, people are pretty generous with their time. Now, you probably aren't going to get a hold of Gary Vee or you know, Michael Hyatt directly. Like You probably won't get a direct line access to certain people, but there's plenty of people in your circle are doing the types of things you want to do or a couple steps ahead of you in whatever that area is, and you can learn from them. So reach out to them. That's what I would say. Is that, was that kind of essentially what you did with Chandler and, and, and SPS where it's just like, you know what, I, I like what these guys are doing. Oh yeah. 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 There, there wasn't, there was no job posting. There was no (laughs) opportunity. Like I sent the letter and said, man, like, let's give it a shot. I had two coaching calls with that program. I used one of them to try to sell myself into that position. <laughs> wow. Um, well, we got 2021 coming up. How do you, do you, do you set goals? How do you set goals for yourself, for your family, anything that you're looking at? And um, I guess, and do you look at the year in, uh, in review? Is there anything yeah. we can pass along to our audience on that front? Yeah. Um, I walked through all this in the life doc book. I think it's super important to not just have goals, but to have like a vision of who you want to become that the vision piece, like I walk people through this exercise in SPS. I do it each year because we do a yearly sort of uh, end of year personal enrichment session, set personal goals, um, walk people through this process, project out to the end of your life. So like, 75, 80 years old, 90 years old, however, however long you think you're going to live. Okay. Project out to the end and then look back and think, who was I? Who, like, what kind of character did I have? Uh, Who did I surround myself with? What types of books did I read? What type of, like all of those and, and start to just flesh that out. And that's like the vision piece. And then the legacy piece is looking at it from another person's perspective and saying like, what's the community around me saying? Like the people that I was closest to, what did they say about me? What, what kind of legacy did I leave for them, with them and that sort of thing? Um, I think that's one of the best exercises you can do because there's, there's all kinds of goal setting platforms out there. There's all kinds of programs you can do, that sort of thing. But I think looking from a, a character and integrity and like grounded perspective of like, who do I want to become? I think that's one of the best exercises you can do rolling into 2021. Awesome. I love it. There's been so much here that I've loved and we're going to have to bring you back on, by the way, uh, after you, uh, uh, for our audience, they can't see, um, Omer's got a beard. He's, he's got the full quarantine look and it's going to get even more radical now that he's in Wyoming. There's no rules out there. I, uh, what, where, where are you working towards personally? What are your, what are your, some of your biggest strides that you're looking to really tackle either a project you're looking to start that might be a five-year project or 
something you've been putting off or something that you're excited to jump into now that you're in a new spot in life. You're entering a new season, getting out That's of your right. place. I've got a couple of things on the docket. Um, personal dream of mine is I've always wanted to get my pilot's license and not to fly a jet, but just like a little puddle jumper plane, maybe go halvesies with somebody on it. So I'm going to do that in the next five years. Um, I also want to get into some real estate because I think real estate's a beautiful mechanism for um, raising all boats. And so like, I, I think there's plenty of opportunity in Cheyenne to refurb some houses, to develop some land, whatever, things like that. So I'd love to do that. Um, and then I think the other thing is helping my kids find their find their zone of genius or like their hobby, their activity, their interest that they just want to go all in on. And right now we're just in that like spread the net wide, try them all. But I hope in five years we'll start to narrow in a little bit on maybe what's the things that they want to pursue that they're most passionate about. And then we can, we can tackle it together. I love it. I love it. Uh, Omar, how can, uh, how can someone get a hold of you if they want to follow you in your journey? I don't know. Do you have social media? I don't, I don't do social media. <laughs> I don't have a website. This is the worst question for me. No, um, no, no. But you have books. We can at least plug the yeah, book. Yeah. Yeah. You can, oh, you can look me up on Amazon. You can type Omer Redden, Life Doc or Give and Grow Rich. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you. Omer Redden into Amazon. You'll find my books. And then if you ever want to get a hold of me, um, Aaron Just, will give you my email and we can chat. There it is. If you, it, it, for, for, for perception standpoints, someone who only has books on Amazon and has no other means of communication via social media, it's probably a good source. Oliver, thanks so I, much. I do have an Instagram account, but who cares about that? Like, uh, that's that fair. That's fair. <laughs> Omer, thanks so much for your time. Can't wait to have you back. And I uh, really appreciate it. It was such a fun conversation. Also for me personally, it's like such a cool guy that's been, I've kind of been around. It's cool to get to know you. And I really appreciate you volunteering the time. As we just said, you could be spending it with your family, with your wife, with doing some other things. You could be trying to make some money. You could be doing whatever it is. You could be, I don't know what they do in Wyoming. They go kill bears and cut down trees and whatever it is that you guys. That's right. That's right. I'll be saddling up my horse and rounding up some cattle here shortly. There we go. There we go. A man can dream. All right, Elmer. Take care. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, Aaron.